Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I have the great pleasure of having Dave Edelman with me, who is the CMO of Aetna. Dave, hi, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Nadine. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you with me. You took on this amazing role that you were describing to me has so many moving parts and pieces to it. Can you just explain that to the folks who are tuning in right now? Because it's got so many different pieces of the puzzle that you're putting together. Sure. So I came to Aetna because the mission of where the company is aiming to go was just so incredibly inspiring. The health insurance industry overall is undergoing so many different changes because of technology change, because of pressures on funding. But when it comes down to it, the core of really what we should be doing is helping people be healthier. And in order to help people be healthier, they need to understand what resources they have available. They need to understand what changes they can make in their life. And a lot of that is a marketing challenge. It's about behavior change and motivating people. And so Aetna saw that if it was going to change its economics from just simply paying out fees when somebody had a claim, so essentially almost a warranty card for your body when things break, that we needed to get ahead of that and help people understand how to be healthier. Also, how to take advantage of various tools and programs and resources that Edna was making available so that people could make smarter choices for their health, for their financials, but all of that needed a better connection from a marketing perspective. And so the lure for me came when I interviewed with the whole senior leadership team and it became very clear that the company was undergoing a serious strategic pivot to be a much more consumer-oriented 
brand forward company that was meant to really change their members' experience. And so all of that spoke to me pretty deeply from where I had been working at McKinsey, helping a lot of companies undergo pretty deep change as they became more digital, as they became more marketing forward. So I had worked with larger companies on big change programs, but here was an opportunity to take all of that and make it real not just in general, but specifically to help people's health. And so that's what really drew me in. As I started talking to the Aetna leadership about what that would entail, it became clear that there were quite a few legs that had to come together in the stool, so to speak, in order to make this really work. Some of it, of course, was going to be marketing to support sales, which was around helping people understand the new kind of value proposition we were offering. Because if we were changing how we were going to market, the traditional buyers, whether they were employers or individuals, needed to understand that our value proposition was different. So there was positioning there that we had to do from a marketing perspective. There was also work that we needed to do from a customer experience design perspective, which I was given the authority to set up. And within my team now is what we call the office of the consumer, who's looking across at the way we work with people across their health journey and turning that into much tighter, more differentiated experiences. So those two main legs really helping to reframe the value proposition and then actually helping to reshape what that value proposition actually is, is the core of what I'm doing. And it's amazing how much over just the last two years we've been able to change. So fascinating. And when we were chatting before, you have a very complicated ecosystem where it's not just a straight B2B or B2C model. It's like B2B to B2C, right? And so can you talk a little bit about your key stakeholders in your ecosystem and how you're thinking about engaging with all of them? Sure. So we have three main lines of business. So the core that most people are familiar with is what we call the commercial business. And that's where we sell to employers. And in that case, we're working with our sales force who often has to work with a broker who then is working with an employer. And so there's a whole chain there that we have to pull together. And in that chain, we arm our sales forces with information about the brokers, about the actual, what we call them sponsors, the employers who pay for the health plans so that they can be better informed as they pitch. We provide them with content, with how to explain our offerings and increasingly more experiential content that can help the buyers understand the new ways that we'd be helping their employees get healthier. And then even if an employer chooses Aetna, in many cases, they may be choosing more than one carrier. And then we have competition at the employee level where we have to do direct marketing to the employees typically through digital means to help them understand who we are as a brand and get their preference and eventually their choice. But that's just one part of the market. Another part is Medicare, 
And Medicare is for people over 65 who are choosing either standard government insurance, a standard indemnity plan called medical supplement, or a much more managed plan called Medicare Advantage, where all the services are provided for one fee. And Medicare Advantage is a core business for us. And that's sold direct to individuals, often with brokers, but sometimes direct. And so there, it's a very intense, you see a lot of the ads on TV from various carriers. There's a lot of direct mail, there's a lot of digital, and it's an all-on competition in order to build preference and win share in that market. And then thirdly is Medicaid, which is where the government is supporting for lower income people, medical support for them, where often they would turn to us to manage those programs on their behalf. And most of the work that we do there is helping people in the program engage, understand the programs, get on board, take advantage of their benefits. It's all around helping them get the most out of the services that are being provided to them. And so that's a very direct individual. So many different channels, many different goals, some of which are sales, some of which are engagement. So it is a very complicated ecosystem. Wow. I don't know how you keep all that straight and how you organize on a day-to-day basis. Wow. But you've had already some early wins in how you've been able to pull this all together. You want to share a couple of those? Sure. The biggest thing that we've done is we've completely redesigned and relaunched the Aetna brand. So that happened in 2017. When I came in, one of the expectations was that I would bring together what had been very fragmented marketing operations. So marketing had been broken up for each line of business and even within those sublines of business. So there were about seven to 11, depending on how you count it, different marketing organizations all separately pitching their products. And they were all brought together under me into an integrated marketing organization upon which we would create a singular brand that would cut across everything that Aetna had to offer. And the whole point was to create that integrated image, a singular way that we could talk about what we were offering to consumers that would cut through everything we sold. And so we did a lot of very deep research as to what consumers would expect from a company like ours, what they'd be comfortable with, what would be differentiating. And we came up with a strategic mission that was oriented towards helping people realize the joy of achieving their health ambitions. People want to be healthy in order to do things with their life. And we want to help people realize the joy of doing those things. So we are about life. We are about enjoying life and taking advantage of everything you can and helping you from a whole health perspective, mental, physical, spiritual, really bring together a whole range of resources so you can take advantage of what life has to offer. And so we came up with the tagline, you don't join us, we join you. We join you in helping you achieve your health ambitions. That became the through line for not only the way we went to market, 
but also across all of our operations, a really hard look at what we were doing. It led to the creation of our Office of the Consumer that I mentioned earlier, that is looking at the consumer experience to make sure it reflects the fact that we are joining you. It also led us to challenge ourselves across the different products and services that we had to make sure they were all aligned and pointed towards this brand promise. We have also changed all of our communications, over 3,000 different touch points across our lines of business to different audiences. We changed the whole look and feel, the photography, the font, everything to make it more open, more conversational, make it friendlier, make it about life and helping people. And that has given an energy to our folks, to the people on the front line, our customer service reps, everyone throughout the organization really became galvanized by this direction. And so it put a stake in the ground saying, okay, we do have a lot to do to completely fulfill this but we are heading in this direction as fast as we can. And it created that momentum to get us mobilized. And so that really has been the biggest thing. And it's had ripple effects right down through the whole fiber of the company. Okay, so I'm completely mind boggled now. 3,000 touch points. I mean, wow. So you have a tremendous background and one of the leading authorities on digital transformation. And I would just love to hear your career up until this point and how it prepared you to take this on and kind of what you're being able to apply now from your role as a CMO now. Sure. When I was back in business school, I loved my marketing courses. I loved the combination of science and creativity. I mean, that's always been my thing. I do a lot with music. I play saxophone. I actually play with a combo now. Um, I did music direction of shows when I was in college. And so it was all about combining science and math with creativity. And in the business world, marketing is the discipline that really brings that together. So I found I had an affinity for that. I started out after business school and consulting, found my way towards marketing-oriented projects in the early days when customer information was first becoming available, the internet was just starting, and companies needed advice on how to start incorporating customer data into what they did. And that led to a concept we called, and I was at the Boston Consulting Group at this time, Segment of One Marketing. And we service marked that, and that was a way for me to engage with a set of ideas behind it with companies of all the different ways they can start incorporating smart use of customer data into their operations. As the internet expanded and it became one of the most important places to be able to use that data, I started realizing that I wanted to get more at the rock face of execution, where things were happening. And so I became part of the team that started Digitas, the digital agency back in um, 1999. It had gone through some changes and brought my marketing strategy background there. But from my own development, started working hand in glove with our creative teams, with our technology teams to actually build it and get it out the door. 
One of the executive creative directors at Digitas, a guy named Greg Johnson, actually took my hand, so to speak, and said, you got to read these books. You got to really understand the heart of how we really think about design, how we use information to come up with new ideas, the role of research in it. And it was a great education at the rock face of getting stuff done. So that really helped me understand marketing operations and the actual creation of stuff. Also, all the different technologies. I then, armed with that, was able to go to McKinsey, where I started working on broader change efforts in companies that were becoming more digital and more marketing forward. And one of the biggest things that I found was an important set of changes there was how to bring the notion of agile and fast cycle operations that was part of software development and a lot of what really was happening in digital, how to bring that into companies more broadly. And so I worked with financial service companies, telecom companies, retail of how to bring Agile into marketing operations. So you'd have small cross-functional teams all set up to do very fast test and learn. Get the technology, the analytics, the creative aligned, all to constantly be out there doing things and building up your knowledge and using that to constantly innovate and be more fine-tuned. And that's something that I brought at scale to clients and that then I've taken also into Aetna, um, where one of the first things that I did was my first week here, create what we call the Medicare War Room, where we brought together all of the different disciplines involved in marketing and selling Medicare. So our distribution, analytics, compliance, all of our agencies, I made them physically be in the same place four days a week, where we would come up with plans to rapidly cycle test and learn operations. It was my first big win right out of the gate. It was really successful. It led to an increase in marketing investment the following year because of the success we had. And that's been another leg besides the brand of a whole vector of change we've made here, which is moving towards much more fast cycle operations. But it's all been building off where I started and what I was learning about combining information with marketing and with operations. So I have an image in my head now of using 3,000 touch points, all these different products, all your different constituents, your small SWAT teams, an agile environment. I have to ask, how many people do you have on your team? So we have a little over 500 people on our team it's a pretty sizable marketing organization that includes an in-house agency. Um, so we have gradually brought more and more, especially of our creative design and our technology development in house. We've just found great talent out in the market available. They love our mission and they're very enamored of what we're trying to do. And I just find also by bringing it in house, we can be faster and given the regulated nature of our business, you really have to be down the learning curve to understand what's permissible and what's not. There's just a lot of regulations we have to manage in and you can't get those wrong. I mean, it's 100% compliance. So it's important to have people who are pretty well steeped in it. So yeah, we've grown. Like, how did you think about 
the ways that you could have those early wins. You, you mentioned the war room, but obviously there were a lot of moving parts and pieces with the people on your team. Like, what did you prioritize first? Well, I prioritized against the needs of the business. So I started saying, what were the things that marketing could do to move the needle for the business and then align the talent needs against that? And so one of the things I saw just right out of the gate was in a direct-to-consumer business, which Medicare was, that there was an opportunity to bring much more advanced digital and analytic techniques into that business. Also, just given um, Medicare is a very uh, backloaded, open enrollment happens in the fall. So it's a big part of the business. It's very concentrated in fourth quarter, kind of like retail is for Christmas. So the timing was right. I came in in the middle of September. Very quickly, we needed to get the Medicare train going. So you know, right out of the gate, one of the areas where I needed to make sure we had the right talent was in digital marketing, digital technology, digital analytics. So that was one of the areas right out of the gate that I knew we had to build. And so went out to build up our talent. One area in particular within that was digital technology, and we did build and essentially turn over a big part of our marketing technology team. We needed to get ourselves on a single set of platforms, so we've really cleaned up our operations where we're mostly on Adobe, Salesforce, and Marketo. And so consolidating all of that. So we had platforms where we could do rapid cycle, test and learn. So all of those foundations we had to get in place. I could ask you a million more questions. All of this is so fascinating to me, but I'm going to turn the clock back a little bit. I'm going to put you back at Harvard Business School when you were getting your MBA. Did you ever think you'd be the CMO today? (laughs) I don't think I thought specifically about that. But I knew marketing was the area I was most interested in. I love that combination of creativity and science. Um, You know, in terms of being a CMO per se, I didn't necessarily have my sights. And frankly, in those days, the CMO didn't quite have the same uh, position in the market. It wasn't as common a C-suite role. It was just maybe, you know, the senior person who runs marketing. And I think the nature of the CMO, almost the brand of CMOs, was really put together more in the late 80s, early 90s by a lot of the consumer goods companies who set up CMOs to really drive much more of their brand and their advertising and help inject more in the way those companies were thinking about product development. And so that became more of a a brand type, a, a CXO as a brand. And I think that did become more intriguing. And I found myself over time working more and more almost exclusively with CMOs and with the broader leadership teams around them. So, you know, eventually jumping over did seem like something I I had a feeling I'd want to do. But no, I don't think in the early days I necessarily had my mark on that specifically. (laughs) And at what point did you decide that you were not going to become a professional saxophone player, but rather you were going (laughs) to be on the marketing track? But do both. <laughs> that was pretty early in college. I majored in economics, minored in music. I knew pretty early on that music was not going to carry me from a career wise. I loved it, but I just wasn't good enough. Oh my gosh. I can relate to that. There are lots of things I'd love to do that I'm definitely not good enough yeah. to do. So not in any real professional way, at least. So 
clearly you have been growing like crazy, but how do you stay ahead of the game? Like, what do you think the future holds and, and are you gearing up for that? Well, I think the future has a number of different angles to it. I, I think one of the most important angles for us in the future is shaping the experience side of, our, of the work that we do. So helping people in their healthcare journeys and thinking about how we need to mix the digital side with physical people. So for example, we have like over 5,000 nurses on the ground around the country helping people who've got issues where they need clinical support. We provide them with navigation, how to get around the healthcare system, hold their hands through that, make sure they get all the resources they need. So how does that physical on the ground in the local community work with digital support? You know, I think there's just a lot we still have to learn about what people want and how those things work together. I see still a lot of looking ahead, a lot of experimentation, a lot still of testing and learning, a lot of working with my colleagues and peers who run clinical services, who run the customer service centers with product, make that whole experience fit together. I think we're all still learning about what it's going to take. And then on the sales side, I think also there's just a lot of learning as the market understands more about what they should be expecting differently from a company like us, that they shouldn't just simply see us as health insurance. They should see us really as a health partner. We've just got to keep experimenting. Um, we've got to have a lot of fast cycle stuff out there, test and learn and teaming to work together so that we can develop innovations that we can actually bring to market. Very, very interesting. You remind me of something that I saw many years ago, and it's kind of out of context, but kind of not. And it, it was Burberry and the headlines were around digital. So first we were physical, then we were digital, and now we're fidgetal, right? And, and that was probably eight or nine years ago. But what you just said, it's about what is that right blend between the physical and the digital? So maybe you should write a book about that that we could all read because I'm sure we could learn a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I, I think healthcare is an essentially local business. People are concerned about their local providers, the local hospitals, the local services. So you have to be on the ground physically in the local markets. You have to be there physically for people. That's not going to change. What is going to change is how we support that digitally with expertise that you can tap in via video who might be experts in a certain way with reminders and ways for people to get little prompts to behave better, with wearables that might capture information that can help guide somebody's program. It can't all go to AI. It's going to have to have people. And I think that's the challenge is getting the right balance between those. Okay. At the last minute, Dave, you hit on a topic that could take us another 30 minutes to go through, but maybe we're going to have to do a round two because AI, critically important, scary for some people and will have huge implications. So let me just ask one question on that and we can come back and do a round two and go deeper later. But as you think about AI and how it's going to augment 
your capabilities. And as you said, you still need people. What tip can you give somebody for how to start thinking about folding that into your organization? Well, I think you have to be very specific on what you want the intelligence to do. For us, the most important thing AI we're using it for is what should be the next best action that somebody should take for their health? We have a lot of different parts of Aetna who all want to send messages to an individual member. So, you know, Nadine could potentially get bombarded by all kinds of things, those 3,000 touch points. But the thing is, what is the right next thing for Nadine so that we focus just on that? Because that's where we want to engage her. And so managing that, which by the way, also saves us money because we're not bombarding somebody. It gets the recipient much more engaged because they're getting stuff that's more relevant. And we're helping somebody along the path to a better outcome. That's where we've pointed it. That's not a small thing to do, but you've got to be extremely purposeful in where you point that kind of AI investment. Yeah, very helpful. Okay, I'm going to ask you one last question. I think I may know the answer to this question already, but we'll see what happens. If you were not a CMO, and I'm actually going to take the sacks away from you because we already talked about the sacks. You're not playing the sacks. You're not a CMO. Money and talent, no object. What would you do? Yeah, I, you know, I've often thought about that. I think I would have been an architect because of the combination of art and science. And I'm fascinated by architecture of using creativity and problem solving within a set of constraints where you also have to have science and math within that. Um, I just, I find architecture just fascinating. And when I've seen architects in action and worked with them, I'm just always amazed by what they can do. And I find it a great field for bringing those kinds of disciplines together. So who knows, maybe in my second life, that's something I could do. (laughs) Sounds very cool. I can't wait to see what happens next. So, (laughs) well, David, it's been a real pleasure having you with me today. Thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through all that. My pleasure. Thank you, Nadine. All right. Have a great day. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.